Good morning and happy new year. Y'all are all the, the slackers that had to wait till second service. We gave extra credit out at early service today, so um, y'all really missed out on that. I'm just kidding. There's not a place that I would rather be. This is a really special year to get to celebrate um, the holidays and to get to celebrate this new year together here in this place with the thing that I believe matters most, um, our faith and our family in Christ. You know, a lot of you... Um, may remember that my official interim preaching gig technically ran out last week because it is the end of the new year. That means it's already been eight weeks and I've enjoyed all of it. I think now I've moved to a week-to-week contract, so I have to be really careful um, <laughs> what I say. We, we are still in the process of looking for a preacher. I want to give you all a little update on that. Several of you have asked about my interest in the job, and I have decided that now is not the best time for me. So I've taken my name out of the hat, um, but it has been a real blessing to get to walk with you all during this interim period, and and I'm going to continue to do so for a spell. Um, There hadn't been a lot said about the search for a preacher because there hasn't been a lot to report on, but I kind of want to fill you in on the little bit that I can um, the, the hiring process is, is being handled in-house by our elders like it always has in the past, and they are working on several different directions and several different leads. You can imagine with us installing new elders, and that combined with the holiday season, it has been difficult to get some momentum going. Um, this is just a time of year where it's tough to make things happen, but there are things that are happening in the background, and, and we're, we're excited to be moving forward to that. What we would ask for you is that you would continue to pray. Um, we believe in the power of prayer, and I think if we are collectively lifting up our voices to God about this big transition here at Oldham Lane, He is going to answer that prayer. As we move into this new year, I'm going to begin the year with a new series called I Am Jesus. And we're going to be examining the I Am statements from Jesus as told to us from the Gospel of John. There are seven of them, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that the elders are going to identify the next preacher before I get finished, and I can save a few of these. Um, but I've got, I have seven lessons plotted out anyway. Question, how many of you like to eat your vegetables? I grew up kind of wrestling with this. I probably wrestle with it a little bit. That's why I found it pretty uh, interesting that there's been this new uh, push for plant-based meat. Because I don't like my vegetables to begin with, and then you try to transfer those into some sort of a meat product, and it's just kind of a given that I'm not going to like it. Well, I read this article the other day, and it's great news. Some scientists have developed a technique where they have found an animal that enjoys eating vegetables. And instead of making this plant-based meat in a lab, they can feed these vegetables to this animal, and this animal makes the meat for us. <laughs> it's really impressive. This, 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 this plant-based meat product, indiscernible from what you can buy at the grocery store, okay? you can make hamburgers out of it, you can make fajitas. They've even successfully raised a brisket from this plant-based meat, and it all centers around cows. How do cows do this, you might ask? Well, cows have a really interesting digestive system. Cows have, does anyone know how many stomachs? Four. Cows have four stomachs that they pass these plant products through as they transfer them into, into, into life, um, and, it, and it really is interesting. I want to ask you this, shifting away from the cows. 
How many stomachs do you have? Y'all were, y'all were a little more bold than first service because everyone in first service, Tim says he has five. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even going to ask. We're not, we're not even going to go there. First service was all really quiet because they knew that I was probably asking a, a trick question. Um, you might be tempted to say that you have one. Physiologically, you would be correct in saying you have one stomach. But my official answer to this question is two. I believe that you have two very real stomachs. Not a real one and an imaginary one, but tangible, real stomachs that hunger for something and digest something and provide nourishment to something. One is physical and one is spiritual, but they're both very real. You know, we live in a world that has taught us to assume that something that's not physical is not real. And that's just not the case. You can look at your daily experiences, the experience that you have just from being alive, and you have felt, just like me, the hunger from your physical stomach and the hunger from your spiritual stomach. You know what it's like to experience that that emotional yearning that need for something more. This is an undeniable fact, an undeniable experience that we all live with and one that sets us apart from the animals. A cow may have four stomachs, but they don't have this one. This concept of two stomachs is introduced by Jesus in the first sections of John 6, verses 22 through 40. And that's where we're going to spend our time today, and I hope that you will open your Bibles and turn there. John chapter 6. This passage is where Jesus tells us the first of his seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. Now, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context, because the context really matters in this case. You see, at the beginning of John chapter 6, we see that Jesus had gone across the Sea of Galilee into the wilderness, and the crowd had followed him out there, and he looks out to the crowd, and he realizes, these people don't have anything to eat. They're hungry. And he turns to his disciples and said, where are we going to feed them from? They say, I don't know. We couldn't afford to feed them. So they find this young boy who has five loaves and two fish. And with those five loaves and two fish, Jesus sits the crowd of 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children down and begins distributing food. And the food goes, and the food goes, and the baskets are passed, and the baskets are passed. And when the end comes around, everyone's stomach is full, and there are 12 basketfuls of broken bread that they collect as leftovers. You can imagine that the people were amazed by this. In fact, they look at Jesus and they connect the dots and realize, oh, we had this prophet Moses in the wilderness who was involved in manna from heaven. This Jesus must be the prophet that we're looking for. And Jesus perceives that they are going to take him by force and make him their king. And so at this point, Jesus runs away up into a mountain by himself and escapes the crowd. And the disciples are getting ready to leave because it's getting dark. They can't find him anywhere, and so eventually they get in their boats, and they head back across the Sea of Galilee, and we see in the middle of the night, as they're rowing to the other side, Jesus comes walking up to the boat on the water. Jesus gets in the boat, they make it to the other side, and on the next day, the crowd wakes up and says, where is he? 
I mean, there was only one boat here. We saw the boat leave. He wasn't in the boat, and Jesus is missing. And so as the other boats start to infiltrate and and come out in the morning, they hop on, and they go across the sea, and they find Jesus there waiting, and they have some big questions for him. Let's pick up our text in verse 22, John 6, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. As we survey this passage, um, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. But I believe verse 27 stands out as the main central point. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. I believe this verse sets the foundation for everything that comes next in the rest of chapter 6. The rest of chapter 6, we see Jesus explaining and expanding upon this powerful imperative that he has given his people. But before we watch Jesus unpack what I think are the three central elements in this verse, I want to talk about its big picture implications and our very real experiences. You see, in this verse, Jesus lays out the two different types of food that we find, perishable and eternal. There are, therefore, by implication, two different stomachs that we fill, a physical one and a spiritual one. Our physical stomach, we can really only fill it with perishable food. 
So we see in the Old Testament, God provided manna while they were in the wilderness, and they were able to fill their physical stomach. We've seen the crowd's stomachs, physical stomach, filled with bread from Jesus. Corn casserole would have won me over. No matter how much corn casserole I eat, and no matter how much I love it, I still get hungry the next day. And so do you. And so did the Israelites. And so did these followers of Jesus. But there's another stomach, the, the spiritual stomach, that seems to have some different options, some different ways of interacting with it. It can certainly be filled with things that don't last, just like our physical stomach. But it can also be filled with things that don't fade. So we mentioned this at the very beginning of the lesson, but this is what we find Jesus speaking to here, the the two different stomachs that we have. Jesus acknowledges this experience of ours, and he gives priority to one for a very valid reason, its eternal nature. So why does he do this, and how does he expect us to do it? There are three things that I think we need more clarity on, three central elements of this verse that Jesus is about to unpack and expand on. Work, enduring food, and eternal life. What is the work that we do? What is the food that endures? And what exactly does he mean by eternal life? And I want to take each of these in turn this morning. The first is work. In general, in this country... We have moved away from working for sustenance. Many of you live paycheck to paycheck. Some of you do not. But either way, our experience wouldn't mirror that of these first century listeners who lived a sustenance lifestyle. For most of those following him, there was no room in the budget for leisure, and there was little or no food security. So a dry season meant that they were going to go hungry, and a poorly timed rain meant that they were going to go hungry, and considerable effort went towards filling their physical stomachs. So to have been fed in the wilderness by this man who was doing these other signs was a really big deal. I mean, this brought them back to Moses and the manna from heaven. And you can understand how exciting it would have been for them to think, we are about to get to escape the rat race of constantly trying to keep our bellies full. We're going to get fed by God as he's going to shuttle us into this new era, this era of redemption of Israel. They saw an opportunity for security and comfort, but they were about to settle for so much less without even realizing it. You see, Israel was given manna each day, but the next day, they were hungry. Furthermore, this manna that they were given, it was a temporary measure. It was provided for a season, but once they moved into the promised land, it went away. Then we move from their physical and look at their spiritual lives, and in their spiritual lives, they followed the law. But the law was never satisfied. They could sacrifice for their sin today only to find it was necessary to do it again tomorrow. You see, their physical and their spiritual stomachs were in need of constant attention. 
They had an opportunity to eternally fill one of these. They had just assumed the wrong one. And Jesus offers them something better when he turns their attention away from the physical to their true and deepest need. This gnawing hunger that's driving their endless pursuit of God that seems to never be satisfied. It was a surprise to them. They didn't even know this was an option. And so you see that they follow with a very valid question. In verse 28, then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He's told them to work, and he's pointed them to work towards something that sounds pretty awesome. But how do you work in this spiritual realm? You know, they knew all about tilling the physical dirt soil so that they could plant food. They knew all about casting their physical nets so that they could gather and catch fish as physical food. They knew all about raising the the sheep so that they could have this physical meat as food. They would even take it a step further. Part of the work that they did was giving God the glory for overseeing it all. And so they worked to uphold his law and to live righteous lives so that he would bless them. And one of the ways that they saw his blessings manifested was through physical food. So they think that this sounds great, but what does it mean? How do they pursue this like Jesus is asking them to? And this issue of how they work for it is the first one that he unpacks. Filling your spiritual stomach with eternal food centers around the work of true belief. In other words, what do you put your faith in? Our spiritual stomach is filled with whatever we put our faith and our hope and our belief in. The work we do if we are to properly fill it is done by pressing our faith towards true things. Their current belief was in the law. We look at our secular world and it believes in different things. I I would say primarily individualism in yourself. But the Christian is called to faith in Christ. Your work is to fill your heart with truth. And this doesn't happen passively. It requires the tilling of the soil of your heart and the planting of the seed of truth and nourishing them into plants and then harvesting their life-giving fruit. Every day we make choices about what we will believe in. Every day we listen to a million different voices and we choose which of those voices we are going to ingest, which of those voices we are going to put into our spiritual stomach. You know, one of the greatest errors, I believe, of modern Christianity is thinking that we we are involved in something that's motivated by a feeling and just happens passively. But work is required That's the word that Jesus used, and our work is belief, and we participate in this in a very active way. Their faith was in the law, so they participated in sacrifices and festivals, and they maintained the temple. Our world puts faith in themselves, so we see the world pursuing money and status and physical pleasure. As a Christ follower, Our belief is in the Son of God, and that leads us to His teachings. This is why we love in radical ways and seek to humble ourselves and sacrifice for others. Their motivation for this, for this very specific work of belief in Jesus, is the food that is harvested, enduring food. And that brings us to our next point. You know, the other day I 
I pinched my nose and decided to clean out the break room refrigerator. It was pretty brutal. I threw away a bottle of pickle relish that expired in 2019, and when I tried to blame Luke for it, he reminded me that he was not in the break room in 2019. So we have decided it's Chris's fault. Everything is Chris's fault from here on out. All right, y'all don't tell him I said that. He'd be mad at me. Even pickle relish goes bad. Why should they prioritize this work? Why should they press their faith into Christ? Because his food was non-perishable. The law forever had to be repeated. Secular approaches, they, they leave you empty at every corner, and you're constantly trying to fill yourself. But belief in Christ fills your spiritual stomach in a way that never fades. I believe the strongest arguments for the Christian faith come from an honest observation of the evidence that we see. There's a lot of different evidences, but one of the powerful pieces that we have at our disposal is the fact that this works. When we look at the world around us, when we observe the the striving of the world and how they are constantly trying to fill themselves but never full, how the emptiness constantly wells up inside of them, and then we contrast that with the life of a believer who is filled with Christ, we see a major difference. You know, the world says money is the answer, but it never delivers happiness or security like we think. We look at our health and we find that it fades and it disappears. We look to relationships as something that might fill us, but relationships end. They're with broken people. They uh, leave us hurt. Most of the answers that the world gives us taste good, but they leave us with a stomach ache. Like a bunch of kids who break into a candy factory and we eat up all of these treats and then we find that we're not satisfied and we're not nourished and we're not growing the way that we need to. What can we ingest that works? What can we ingest that fills us? He claims that there is an enduring food. But what is it? Well, it's actually not until verse 35 that he comes out and says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, he's given hints about the enduring food prior to this. He has said the Son of Man will give eternal life. He said it's the the work of God is to believe in him who he sent. But now he makes it abundantly clear who he is talking about and where their faith and direction is to come from. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I am the food that will fill you up. Your empty spiritual stomach, the ache and yearnings that you experience can be filled through Christ alone. God sent Jesus from heaven to give spiritual life to the world. When we press our faith into Christ, we find that we are full And we find that we are satisfied. Now, this doesn't mean that we always feel great. There is a modern-day expectation where our world sees Jesus as the almighty therapist that soothes our distress. And that's not the case. Being full and satisfied means our spiritual needs are met. And our greatest need is about to be specifically addressed. The desire for eternity. The desire for eternity that has been set on our hearts that we cannot let go. 
In Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read, He has put eternity into man's heart. This is the thing that we see that the animals don't. A cow may have four stomachs, but they don't have one like this. This is what sets us apart. This is what drives us and causes us to desire something more. We talk about leaving a legacy. Why? Because we, we want to somehow reach eternity. We talk about making an impact. Why? Because we want this mark of our lives to, to live on. We talk about meaning and purpose. And that's because we need something bigger than our dying selves. We need something to strive for. Eternity is set in our hearts. And this eternity that's set on our hearts that drives our spiritual hunger is attainable through Christ alone. All of the other perishable spiritual food eventually leaves our spiritual body dead. Filling our hearts with these empty treats is just as futile as filling our stomach with physical bread or with corn casserole and expecting eternal life. It's temporary. And it's fleeting. But the enduring spiritual food, the bread of life, Christ, presses our spirits past this life and into eternity. Now this could be a little confusing because people still die all of the time. Christians, in fact, die. This does not get us out of physical death. Jesus, in verse 40, clarifies and points out that the resurrection is going to come on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Physical death will still take your physical stomach, but the resurrection will follow on the last day and eternal life will be granted. And this is where the spiritual and the physical intersect. Those who believe in Christ who have pressed their hearts into enduring food, will not be dead when they die. They will have life again, and in the next life, will never experience another death. We announced the passing of Gerald McCoy this week. We're going to see him again. Lori Fortner lost her mother, Cheryl, this week. We're going to see her again. We're going to see Fred Dominguez again. Janet, we're going to see David again. Judy, we're going to see Lyndall again. We're going to see Maxine Smith, Bonnie Bedner. We're going to see Jack Grant and Bob Connell and Jim Wilson and Bob and Mary Childress and Bill and Peggy Martin and Jimmy Jividen and and you fill in the blank. Whatever great Christian mentor or loved one your mind is thinking of, if they were a believer in Christ, we're going to see him again. And you, if you have consumed the bread of life, if you have believed in Christ, you will also be raised up on the last day. You have two stomachs. You were created this way. And you are driven to fill them. Your spiritual stomach is your primary stomach. And your physical stomach is just a secondary one. Church, Jesus is the only thing that can fill your first stomach and keep it full. What are you trying to fill it with? Other things? Or with Him? 
To believe in Him is to consume an eternal life-giving bread. Are you working to believe? Are you daily pressing your heart into Christ through prayer and Scripture and Christian community? You know, we all still die a physical death. But if you've believed and consumed Jesus, His teaching and His ideas, then you will be raised to eternal life in the last days. And this hope is what makes us full. Jesus is the bread of life. All throughout the book of Acts, we see people learning this reality and a pattern emerges. Their belief is followed by repentance and baptism. They change their ways and they participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through baptism. Jesus' claims were a bold one, but as God's Son sent to do the will of the Father, it was a claim that He could deliver on. Only He can eternally satisfy your hunger. He wants to. God wants you to live full. So if you believe, we're ready to baptize you and begin your new walk with Him. If you would like to repent or if you need prayers for any reason, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.